right. Good morning. It's great to see you. Um, been out of pocket for a couple of weeks. Uh, wanted to say thanks to Nancy Brewer and all of her missions team that uh, sponsored the last couple of weeks, all of our special guests and everything they did uh, to challenge us in that area. So thanks, Nancy, and, and to all you guys. Uh, I'm just hoping I haven't forgot how to do this, all right? You know, they say, use it or lose it, and I hope I didn't lose it. Uh, we are going to be in Luke chapter 14 today uh, and be following our uh, series in his story. We've been in this uh, since Christmas, and now we're going to pick that back up and take that on through till Easter. And by the way, we still have a few books left. I think they didn't all go last service, but if you are new to North Shore and have not been uh, kind of up to speed on this uh, series, it's a book that we have been following. It's the harmony of the Gospels, all four Gospels in a chronological order. We've just been following the life of Christ and walking with Him and learning about Him and His ways. And uh, so we're picking up chapter 9 today. Uh, this chapter is entitled, uh, Jesus Teaches on True Discipleship. And so that's going to be our focus here in the next few minutes. We've got some Bibles available. If you want to take advantage of that in a moment, the ushers are going to be walking down the aisle and they'll offer one. And, and so we'll uh, be looking at the Gospel of, of Luke today. Um, I've been traveling the last couple of weeks, been in several locations and both on the receiving end in, in some settings with some fellow uh, pastors and just kind of, kind of uh, receiving from that, but also uh, on the giving end, uh, sharing with a group of leaders that was down in the state of Oregon. Uh, the Oregon pastors came together uh, and I was speaking at that. And then uh, several from our church and our team have just got back from the Exponential Conference in Florida, where over 5,000 church planters and leaders have gathered together. It's the largest gathering of its kind. And the, the theme has been this uh, topic of discipleship. And I found it just interesting this year in particular, I've been going here several years, we're invited to do the discipleship training track with many of these leaders. And so we've just been engaged in conversation after conversation from all over the world. I, my table on Wednesday had three leaders from Sao Paulo, uh, uh, Brazil, and they're just, they're, their heart is just so desirous to carry out Jesus' great commission and to do it the way that Jesus did that. And guys, I just want to tell you, here at North Shore, we are not perfect, all right? I'm going to be the first to tell you that. But I'll tell you this, we have a path, and it's a clear path that God has called us to, to make disciples who can reproduce those disciples in other, other lives. And there are a lot of churches that don't, don't understand that. They don't get that. And they're, they're seeking that and wanting to, to learn that. But, but we have that path. And it all starts with knowing what a disciple is, knowing what we're trying to reproduce. It's like this big building that's just not too far from here. There's a, there's a machine that rolls out of there every few days. It's one of the most amazing machines in the world. A lot of you guys are a part of that. And yet you got a clear idea of what you want to see roll out of that bin uh, after those days. There's a, over millions of parts, but they all come together for a purpose. And if we don't know what it is that we're here to make, if we're saying, well, we're called to make a disciple. If you don't know what a disciple is, then how in the world are we going to end up with something that's going to be pleasing to the Lord? That's why we start with our definition. And I want to remind you that. That our definition is in the invitation that Jesus gave to those disciples where he said, come, follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. And so we've, we've, we've seen three aspects of that discipleship he's calling us to. It's becoming a follower of Jesus. He's the one that's going to set the agenda and the direction for your life. Follower of Jesus. A disciple 
is changed or transformed by Jesus. He says, I will make you. We're not gonna stay the same, and you're not gonna be content to stay the same if you're a disciple of Jesus. You're not gonna just sit on the shelf or, or stand in the background or sit up in the stands you know, and watch the players down here play. You're gonna be in the game, and you're gonna be part of what he's doing, and he's gonna change you, and then you're gonna be on mission with Jesus. He says, I'm gonna call you and make you to be fishers of men. So we're on mission with Jesus. And today, as we uh, go into the Gospel of Luke, and in this chapter of his story, he was talking about true discipleship. Uh, most of the stories you're seeing laid out there are going to kind of bubble up out of this Gospel of Luke. And in chapter 14, uh, Jesus really kind of nails down some of the, I guess you'd say the conditions, because in three cases, he prefaces with the word if, the two-letter word, if. If you want to be a disciple of mine, this is what it's going to look like. So you can't get any more pure than what he's about to, to lay out. And, and I think, really, it, it all comes down to this, this word, one word, and that is our allegiance. Our allegiance to Jesus. Is he the one that's determining the direction that I'm going to go? Is he the one that oversees my life? Am I, have I surrendered to his lordship and trusted him uh, to determine that direction? Is my allegiance fully, completely toward the Lord Jesus Christ? That's our challenge today. So I want to pray and ask the Lord just to help us to understand and grasp this. Could we do that and talk to him for a moment? Lord, as we do humbly bow before you, we're asking that your spirit would move in this place, that it would be through your word that is living and it is sharper than a two-edged sword. It'll, it'll speak to us in levels and at places that we could never go ourselves. And I pray that you'll challenge us. And I pray in Jesus' name that you will find hearts that are willing to put into practice what it is that you call us to, that we will do what you have commanded. So we trust you for this today. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 14, I want you to pick up with me in verse 25, if you would. I want you to just read a couple of, uh, a few verses there. Uh, Jesus says in verse 25 that the crowds had gathered, and he turned to them and he said, if anyone comes to me, does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He shares a couple of illustrations about counting the cost before we en en encompass this, this idea of discipling or discipleship of being his disciple, but then he finally concludes and he says, in the same way, therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You know, one of the things that, that is very clear when we talk about discipleship around here, and I find this so interesting, and I, I found the last couple of weeks engaged in many conversations with church leaders these are, these are not folks who aspire for this. These are people that are doing it, all right? They're out there doing it. And yet you talk about what we talk about so freely here about investing your life into a few other individuals so that they can reproduce themselves into another spiritual generation, and they'll just look at you like, I, I just, I don't know how to do that. How do, how do I do this? And the first question I get asked more than anything else is, what is your curriculum? What's your curriculum? Now, what are they saying? 
We somehow have come to define discipleship, true discipleship, as information download. It's all about the knowledge. Go to this class for six weeks or this class for 12 weeks. Get, you know, fill in the blanks and get the knowledge and now, poof, you're a disciple. And friends, I just have to say emphatically, it doesn't work that way. Knowledge is not bad and it's an important aspect. That's that following part. You gotta know the commands before you carry them out. But friends, ultimately, Jesus gave us the agenda in the Great Commission. He said, go make disciples, teaching them to, you know what the next word is? Obey whatsoever I've commanded you. I was at this conference, uh, and I gotta tell you, they assemble the, the, the prime, primary voices within Christendom, the, the strongest teachers, leaders, it seems they, they assemble them in this environment, and, and over the years I've been there, I've watched as they've increasingly been pressing in on this very message about the importance of making disciples, not just converts, and not just building a crowd, because a lot of church planters, that's all they're interested in is building a crowd. And they're doing the show, they're doing the thing that's going to attract a crowd, and they think that's it, and then move on and just keep, keep doing that. But now we're starting to see more and more, we're realizing, friends, you don't, you don't separate the message of Jesus from the method of Jesus, and how did he do it? He pulled out 12 guys, and he poured his life in there for th- three years. And now he says, you go do just what I just did for you. That's what, that was Jesus' method. But I haven't heard a message or an emphasis on the obedience part. I've shared this with a lot of others. So, so where, where's, the, where's the word about obedience? How do we teach somebody to obey? Not to just hear this, not to just get the information, but to model what does the obedience look for. This year, there was a message, and I think my colleagues and the others that were there, they said it stood out about all the other messages, and finally somebody's saying, it is about obedience. That's how you love God. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And what are my commands? Here they are. There's some of them right here. Our New Testament is full of them. It's very clear that Jesus Jesus was calling us to love the Father, and the way that we love the Father is by obeying what he has, has commanded us. And so as we read something like this, I know some of you, some of you guys are just listening to this and you're saying, now wait a minute, did I hear the word hate in there? Unless you hate your mother and your father and your wife and your you know, husband, your sister, your brothers, your children. Yes, even your own life. You cannot be my disciple. What in the world is that all about? Jesus doesn't literally want us to hate them. I just have to give you this little tidbit here. The way a Jewish teacher, like a rabbi, would impress upon or teach somebody, he he would utilize what's called exaggeration. Uh, It's not uncommon. Remember the, the, the camel going through the eye of a needle, that kind of a thing? In fact, sometimes that exaggeration would be a form of humor. That was Jewish humor. They would laugh, you know, when, when he would use that exaggeration. I don't think that was the case in this, this situation, but he's saying, you know, he's essentially saying that your love for me, your allegiance to me, has to transcend all of those earthly relationships that you are so close and so, so connected to, that you value so much. Guys, would you not agree that relationship is really the essence of our lives? That's the driver of our lives is relationships. And right now, when you, when you just contemplate your own world, those who are closest to you, 
and how that plays out, how easy it is to put those first and foremost. And Jesus is saying basically this, and you can jot this down. I'm not to be a priority in your life. I am the priority. And everything else will flow out of that. Here's why. The relationships that you and I enjoy are gifts from God. They are gifts from the, from the Lord. And, and we don't want to worship the gift. We want to worship the giver of those gifts because he's the one that has allowed those. I've been, been reflecting on this last day or so, uh, and I just want to say uh, to you guys how much I've appreciated you and your prayers uh, for my family. Uh, Health-wise, a couple of my brothers have been going through difficulties. My brother closest to me uh, had been in the advanced stages of cancer, and, and uh, this is my brother Doug, and he passed away Friday night. So um, I've just been reflecting a lot in the last 24 hours or so about that relationship. It's the first of my siblings. I'm the youngest of five kids, and he was one closest to me. Um, and, you know, I am so grateful. I'm grateful for the time that we got to share. I've been passing that on to you. I was able to get down there a couple of times and have some very deep conversations. I know many of you have been praying, even spiritually, and, and I don't know. I, I trust the Lord. Uh, I have no regrets on what I shared and, and the extent of which I shared. I, I suppose I would probably sum up my impression at this point that he was a believer in God, but he wasn't necessarily a follower. And in light of what we're talking about today, I hope that you can see the distinction. That's why there's an if in front of that word. If you're a disciple, then, then this is what it looks like to follow me. There are many people that believe in God, and, and yet this is, this is kind of a step further. Um, as you pray, I, I would anticipate he'll be going down there. I don't know when. Uh, his wife Lucy and I were talking, and she's going to certainly planning a service of some kind, and she asked if I'd do it, if I, if I thought I could. And what I'm anticipating is probably a gathering of, of that, that dimension of my life back in my hometown and all that area where he's lived for all these years and had influence on a lot of it. So a lot of mutual friends that I've known and, and of course, family members, that many of whom don't know the Lord. And so this could very well be uh, a platform to share Jesus um, within that context. And so if you're, if you're praying for our family, that, that, we'll see how that unfolds. But I, I really do want to say sincerely thank you guys. Thanks for your prayer and continued prayers along that line. Um, but it's, it's just kind of driven home this idea of our relationships, how important they are. And yet Jesus says, my relationship with you transcends that. If you're truly a follower of mine, he goes right on the heels of that, and he says, and another thing, he says, unless you take up your cross and you follow me, you can't be my disciple. And if there's one thing this series has impressed on me is how many times Jesus brought up this subject of the cross. Now, keep this in mind. This is before he went to the cross, right? You and I, when we think of the cross, we think of the great hymns and we think of the great understanding of what he did there and, and what it means for us. They didn't have that, that thinking at all. When he mentioned cross to them, all they could see was a Roman form of execution that was very, very cruel. That's all they knew. So for him to bring that up, you know, they're thinking, what is he talking about here? That's why Peter stood and said, I'll never let you go through that. 
That, that'll never happen to you. Remember what he told him. Get behind me, Satan. Um, Jesus makes it clear. He says, listen, there's, there's going to be a path that I'm calling you to. You take up your cross, which is essentially an instrument that, that signified giving up my rights to myself. He surrendered. Nobody took his life from him. He surrendered his life in obedience to the Lord, and that's what it looked like. And as we're watching, even this particular moment in, in the story, his story, he's nearing the end of his earthly journey and investment in these disciples. He's going to Jerusalem next week. We're going to kind of be in the final week of Jesus' life. And, and now he's on his way to Jerusalem. And here's what I find interesting. Even when he told these guys, we're going to Jerusalem, some of them said, Jesus, do you know what you're saying? Those guys there want to kill you. This is dangerous. You know that they're after you, and you want to step right into it. I mean, you're going right into the lion's den, basically. And he, he just tried to get to, through to them that this is the plan. And they even said, threw their arms up, and they said, okay, I guess if we're going to follow you, we're going to die with you. That's how they felt about it. And so it reminded me three things about following him. One thing is, friends, when we follow Jesus, we don't choose the place where he calls us to go. He chooses that. Where are you at today? Where has he led you today? Are you in the place where he's called you to? And have you been willing to go wherever he calls you? We don't choose the place. He chooses the place. He says, we're going to Jerusalem. Didn't make sense to them, but they said, yes, Lord. I think I shared with you guys, when I first got saved and, and I was in California and, and all I knew was my family in that small town in Central California, and he took me out of that and put me in Portland, Oregon, of all places, right? And it's kind of like Nazareth. What good could come out? I won't go there, but... I spent the next four years, and I remember just telling the Lord, Lord, I'll do this. I'll, I'll, I'll put up with this time, but I'm going to go back to California. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve you in California. That's, that's where I want to serve you. Well, by the end of the four years, I finally said, well, okay, the West Coast. Okay, as long as it's on the West Coast, just don't send me any. Well, systematically, he started sending me around, and finally, the second year of my seminary, he put me in an internship in Hugoton, Kansas. You say, where is Hugoton, Kansas? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> You're on western Kansas. There's no trees. There's no mountains. There's no water. There's, there's no anything. The town of Hugoton is one square mile city limit, about 2,000 people. And at the end of that summer, I remember feeling in my heart of hearts, I said, Lord, you know, I've kind of come to love these people. And if you put me in a place like this to serve, I think I could say yes to that. It was kind of like the final. I thought it was the final. Next year, he put me in Muskogee, Oklahoma. All right? That, that was just one more step removed from my will. You don't choose the place. All right? You don't. You say, Lord, I'm yours. You don't choose the path that he's going to take you to get there either. I want you to jot this in your notes. If you're taking notes, put Luke 17, 11. I want you to read that. I won't take you there, but he simply says this, is that he went through Samaria to get there. And if you know anything about the Samaritans, Jews didn't like the Samaritans. There were two paths to go from the Galilee 
to Jerusalem. One was through the Jordan Valley and the other one would be through Samaria. And it, the Jordan Valley was a lot longer, a lot more arduous because they'd have to climb up. But they went that way because they would not want to go through Samaria. And he says, we've got to go through Samaria. Sometimes he takes us places that we don't want to go. And we don't choose the price either. There's a price tag. And for Jesus, that price tag was his life. And it will be the same for us because we are followers of his. We're basically giving our life. We're renouncing this all. Guys, if it was up to me, I would choose the easiest path. I would choose the cheapest path. I would choose the one that I could be the laziest. Anybody with me there? Huh? But here's the truth. If you choose that path, you're never going to grow. You will never grow in the likeness of Christ if we, if we follow that, that way. And so Jesus, he made it pretty clear that this, this was where he was taking them. Now, as I looked at this section, this chapter uh, 9, and looked at this, the successive stories, here was the theme that I saw. To be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, what does it mean? Obviously, it means following him, but following him where? And what, is that, what does it really look like? As we look at Jesus and as we've learned to get to know him better, we watch him in his relationship with the Father. And he said these words. He says, I only do what I see my Father doing. And that was to send a, a message and even a model to us as disciples that we only do what we see our Jesus doing. And what does it really come down to? It comes down quite often to the word love, doesn't it? We love the way Jesus loved. And again, I'll remind you, to love God means to obey his commands. So we're obeying what Jesus has instructed us or commanded. And if we're loving the way that Jesus loved, this is what I saw unfolding in these stories in Luke as, as they kind of back to back. Let me just, I'm just going to lift for the time that we've got three of these out for you, okay? Just to give you kind of some indication of the kind of love that we're called to obey uh, on behalf of our following uh, the Lord. Here's the first one. We love the least and the lost. They will be our focus because that was the focus of Jesus. He always seemed to be, be centered and focused upon those that were kind of on the outskirts, on the, on the edges, if you will, the least and the lost. And Luke 15, real quickly, three stories back to back. It's one of the interesting sections of Scripture where he didn't just do one and then move on. He hit you with three very impactful stories. They all had the same uh, kind of theme. Here they were. They were the story of something that was lost, something that was uh, all out search for that which was lost, and then a celebration afterwards, after it was found. The first story you may recognize, you can see it there, about the lost sheep. Let me just read that one with you, okay, if you see it in your note. What if a man, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Now, all the folks that would have been listening to Jesus, they knew exactly what he was saying. They had a clear picture of a shepherd. That was the society they lived. There were shepherds all over the place. And a sheep to a shepherd was not just valuable because it was a commodity. It was valuable to them 
because there was a relationship with the sheep. <laughs> Sounds crazy, I know, but man, when you're out in the fields and that's all you got, and that's all you're looking at, don't you think you probably are gonna name them and talk about it? They actually would become more like a pet. There was something personally engaged because they knew them, they had relationship, and when they were lost, it mattered to them, and they go after them. The people would have understood that. There, the next story is the story of a lost coin, and it describes the coin as a drachma, and a drachma was representative of a day's wages. Now you think about that. You think about in your context, what would a day's wages amount to? And if there was a coin that encompassed that, would you not go after it? Would you not pursue that uh, pretty diligently until you found it? That's what he's trying to press on to them. And when you found it, she says, man, we're rejoicing. The Lord reveals the character of the heart of God by saying, that's how God feels about one person that repents, that turns from their ways and turns to God and comes to, to a knowledge of him. That's how God feels about it. He never gets old. Last night after the Saturday night service, uh, two brothers, different times, they both came up and they said, you know, God's just really been moving me to, to be baptized. I, I really want to give my life to the Lord. And I tell you what, I just, they've been coming, you know, for some time and circumstances surrounding that, but, it, but, you know, two brothers last night, and I'm just rejoicing in that. I celebrate that. That never gets old when God has called somebody and they, they obey that call uh, to give them, themselves to him. So he makes it pretty clear. The, the, the third story is about the son. We call it the prodigal son who takes everything that was kind of rightfully his, his inheritance, goes and squanders it, and then comes to his senses finally and comes back to the father. And the picture of a father waiting, embracing this son who's been out in the world and probably smells like the world. And he embraces and he hugs and he celebrates and he parties because the son who was lost has come home. Um, I, I, I not, don't have the time to take too deep a dive today, but guys, I just want you to know that your leaders here at the church are really sensing the Spirit of God is moving within, within our congregation, our fellowship, to, to begin to make some shifts from internal kind of emphasis to externally into our community. We've heard you, and, and this is some of the things you shared last fall when we did some assessments, that, that we're just sensing God has postured us, he's prepared us to make a greater impact in our community and in the lives of the people that might be on the margins, might be broke on the broken side, which is pretty much all of us, isn't it? And, and he wants us to begin to uh, think in terms of our influence even beyond you know, these four walls. So we're just praying about that, and we're looking forward to that as that unfolds. So, so how do we love? We love the least. We love the lost. Here's a second story that uh, Luke shares. Uh, and I would call this guy in the classification of the unlovable, all right? His name is Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus definitely qualified as one who was unlovely or unlovable. He was a tax collector. Now, he was probably, because of his wealth, he was probably a part of the upper crust of society, but I think most people would just call him crummy, Okay? Think about that. He, they didn't like him. They, in fact, they hated him. And if you have your book, his story, I want you to pay t attention to page 185 because there's a note under there 
that will describe for you why tax collectors were so hated. In the Jewish world, they were not even treated as human. They were subhuman. I know it sounds awful, but it's the truth. In fact, they had rules that they said, you're not supposed to lie to anybody, but you can lie to a tax collector. <laughs> Things haven't changed a lot today, have they? <laughs> you can lie to them because they're dogs. They're no better than dogs. I mean, literally, that's how they felt about him. So now picture Jesus uh, and kind of his entourage, his disciples, walking through the streets of Jericho. Geographically, Jericho's down by the Dead Sea, okay, down in that Jordan Valley. And he's walking through there, and now you've got the 12, 13-mile trek upwards, thousands of feet up to Jerusalem. That's how you're always saying, we're going up to Jerusalem. And he's walking through these streets, and there's many people, lots of needs, people needing to be healed, all this kind of thing. But Jesus, as he's scanning the crowd, he turns and he sees this little guy up in a, in a tree because he wasn't tall enough to see what was going on. And he says, you, you, I, I want to come over to your house for dinner. Everybody knew who he was, and he was probably the most hated person in that whole community, and that's who Jesus chose to go and spend time with. What does that tell you? He says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house, and, and he's so moved by this love that the Bible records salvation came into his heart. And how do we know it? What did it show up? It showed up in his generosity. He said, look, Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give half of my stuff away. He gave himself away as a result of Jesus' love that he had for him. That's the kind of love we're called to. Jesus came for guys just like Zacchaeus. Now, I know in my world and in my journey <laughs> that the Lord sends people like that. And usually it's a test. Can you identify it all? If there's anybody that is difficult or, you know, not just difficult, but almost impossible. I, I, I remembered a story back when I was in, in college days. I did an internship, and I was working with the college students, and I stayed through the next semester because they were going through transition. Had a pretty good-sized college group, 30, 40 kids that would come, and we'd gather. We were doing this study, and we had a guy in our group. His name was Mark Smelter. And Mark was one of those guys that whenever you opened it up for a question— he'd be the first one to answer. Didn't give anybody else time or space. It just, he blurted it out, and then he'd go on and on and on, and we'd use that to kind of cut him off. He was a guy that uh, was volatile. He, he would get angry just in a moment. Uh, to call him difficult was mild. I mean, he, he was really kind of obnoxious, to be honest. And I even had folks in the group that came up and said, Ken, you know, if, if he's going to be around, then we're probably not going to come back. And a short time later, all of a sudden, one night, Mark didn't show up. And I hadn't been able to tell the story about Mark because Mark was always there, right? And so finally, with Mark not there, I, I told the group, I said, you know, they said, where's Mark? <laughs> so, said, he's not here, we notice, you know? And I said, you know, you guys don't know this, but Mark was a straight-A student, and he got a full-ride scholarship to Occidental College, which is a very high-end school. Full-ride, he got there, and he, he got involved in, in drugs, and he took some hallucinogens, and he never came home from that trip. And he fried his mind, and he came back as a shell of the guy that had, been, had gone off to college. And now he's in our group. 
And as I shared this, you could just see these guys, tears starting to come into their eyes, and, and, and they just never knew. And it was amazing, the shift that took place, that God might have put him there just to teach us how to love the unlovely or the unlovable. Don't be surprised if he doesn't take us down a similar journey. Last story is the one of what we call the rich young ruler. And, and I, would, I would just title this section in how we love, that we love people like Jesus enough to tell them the truth. We have to tell them the truth. There's a variety of love today. Have you noticed there's a love today that doesn't want to tell people the truth, doesn't want to confront sin. It's kind of like go along so that you can just, they can go along with you and just kind of get by. Jesus wasn't that way. And here's a young man that comes. It's described as a ruler. Now, I don't know what he was a ruler of, assuming it was a religious ruler, although later you read he's extremely rich, and I don't see how that works, but, you know. He, he comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Okay, what's this question about? He's saying, what, what can I check off so that I will find favor with God? Well, Jesus accommodates him, and he says, obey the commands, right? There you go. So he says, well, which ones? And Jesus patiently says, this one, this one, this one, this one. And he says, well, I've done all that. What else must I do? And what he's essentially doing is what a lot of us encounter with folks is he's trying to say, what, does it, what do I have to do to be good enough before God to, to receive what God's offering? And I'm gonna want you to write this down. Our good enough is never good enough, is it? Our good enough is never good enough because that's not what God is looking for. It's not what we're gonna offer him up. It is, it is the heart, it's the life that we're surrendering to him and making available to him. It's more in the, the realm of surrender. So Jesus nails him and he speaks the truth to him. He says, go sell everything that you've got, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Come follow me. He pinpoints the very thing. Friends, make no mistake, this is not about a financial issue. Don't go away thinking, oh, well, if I'm gonna be a follower of Jesus, I, gotta, I have to do like that and sell everything. It, it's not that. It's a heart issue. It's an allegiance issue, and that's going to bring us back full circle to where we started today. True discipleship is about our allegiance. Who is our allegiance to? Who is it that we're going to obey? Who is it that's calling the shots in our life? And I want to close with those questions and just ask you today, very humbly, are you willing, first of all, are you willing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ You're the only one that can answer that. Our leadership, myself included, that we can talk about going this path of discipleship, we can give you the definition that a disciple's a follower of Jesus, being changed by Jesus. We can have all the right stuff and say all the right stuff, but it's all gonna ultimately come down to your own heart. Are you willing to hear the voice of the Lord calling you into a relationship with him and to hear those same words and say, if you're gonna be my follower, this is what it looks like. I'm not going to be a priority in your life among many. I am the priority in all dimensions, relationships included. You're going to have to willfully 
give up your right to yourself in the form of whatever cross he calls you to and deny yourself and come follow me. Even renouncing those things, those possessions, the stuff that seems to preoccupy us. Giving it all away for him. And, uh, and then the bottom line is, when he, when he makes that clear to me, will I do that? I've wrestled with this a lot. How do we teach somebody to obey? How do you really teach somebody? You, those of you that are parents, how do you teach your children to obey? You know it's important. You know you desire that. Sometimes you get it. Sometimes you don't. But how does, how does it happen in that context? Well, it's not going to be too dissimilar from what Jesus is going to do. And is there anything today that the Lord is calling you to that is still on the shelf that you have yet to obey? I suspect that if we leave it there and we don't do it, don't be surprised if the voice of the Lord becomes quieter and quieter and quieter because he's not going to keep talking to you about things that you're not willing to do. Today, as I get ready to pray and we're going to close, I wonder if there's somebody in the room, even today, that, that is on a journey toward that relationship. And maybe if you're honest with yourself, you're saying, you know, Ken, I, I, I haven't even taken that first step yet. I'm on my, my way there, but I have yet to take that step. Perhaps you would identify like the lost. You might not say that word, but yet that's, that's kind of where you're at, is, is that you're looking for the way. And Jesus is hopefully today making that clear and saying, come to me, come to me, follow me. And, and, and just see the life, the abundant life that I'll pour out. Maybe today is a day that you want to accept that invitation. Maybe there's one of you here today, walked in these doors, and, and you would be better described as in the second category as the unlovable. You've done something, and the enemy has ravaged you over guilt and shame and fear and he's spoken to you, and he says, God couldn't love you. And I want to tell you guys, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. That is not true. Jesus loves you with an everlasting love, and he calls you to himself. Maybe today's the day to believe that. Do you believe that? That's what he died for, and so that he could mend that relationship, and you could begin that. So you know, if the Lord touches you in either of these areas, I, I just wonder if today might be that day that you, you would give your heart and life to him and trust him for the salvation that he offers. He's here, and he loves you, and I hope you hear his voice. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Let me pray with you, and uh, we're going to sing a song as we go out, but before we do, could we just talk to him? Father, thank you for your word today and for the the example, Jesus, that, that you have given us. We thank you for your love. I thank you for your love. I thank you, Lord, for whatever, um, whatever this journey throws at us, whether it's difficult relationships, whether it's broken hearts, whether it's the loss of people that we love so dearly. Um, Lord, it just doesn't seem anything in this life that we walk through is not something that you've already gone on before us and you've modeled to us uh, how, how we can uh, experience victory in each one of those cases. I'm praying, Lord, today uh, for my friends that you've drawn to this place to hear this word and message.
that may be uncertain about their relationship with you. Perhaps they don't even have one yet. And yet they're looking for that and they're wondering about that. And they're just, they're, they're just needing a nudge. And I pray that the Spirit of God would do whatever it takes to bring them to that place where they will uh, surrender their life, their heart, to receive you, as the Gospel of John says, to receive you and then become a child of God and begin to experience all the life that you've offered to us. If that's where you're at today, just know that it is simple as reaching out to the Lord in your heart and just saying, come into my life, Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Begin to work uh, your life in me and, uh, and help me to please you in all my ways. Forgive me, God, forgive me for the path that I've taken. Today I surrender my life to you. God, I know that, that that's just an amazing prayer, but it's a miracle of miracles that new life comes to those who sincerely uh, seek you that way. So we surrender this to you, and we're thanking you for the work that you're doing and continue to do in our lives. I pray, like I did at the start, that we won't be just hearers of this word, but they will listen to your commands with, with a, a determination to obey whatsoever you command us. And we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, let us know if we can uh, come alongside of you. If, if today you make that decision, would you let somebody know? Come and let us know, all right? And let's talk about baptism. That's a step that you would want to take to outwardly declare what God has already worked in you. If you've never followed the Lord in that, we encourage you to do that. And uh, I know we'll be celebrating. We always do around here just uh, what the new life God's bringing. So uh, tell somebody or share, share with somebody the decision that you make today, okay? Let's sing together.